All right, we're back. Uh, I just recorded a whole podcast that came out pretty good, I thought, and for some reason the sound didn't record. And I already recorded parts of another one that I messed up, and now I'm really exhausted. But I wanted to do this because I said, you know, I was going to do one of these tonight, and some people asked some questions, and now I got to try to do it again and pretend like what I'm saying is spontaneous, even though. I've already said it once or twice or three times. So we'll try this. Yeah, I'm going to jump right into the questions because that's how I did it last time and that seemed to go better. Um, it's tough to talk to yourself like this, especially when you have to keep recording because technology is unreliable, but I'm going to power through it. Let's find the questions here. Alrighty, already struggling. Andrew Kalazi asks, where should Machado bat in the order? I think right behind Tatis is fine as they've been doing it um, either with Tatis first and Machado second or Tatis second and Machado third. Um, the, the more interesting, interesting thing is what they do with Grisham. And I think that he'll probably end up first against righties and maybe, you know, lower against lefties, what they kind of been doing recently. It doesn't seem like Grisham or Tatis really cares, you know, if they bat first or second or eighth with, with Grisham or whatever. Um, for the most part, you know, when you're hitting, you're, you're doing the same job when you get up there. So I, I don't really ever understand why hitters care that much where they bat. Um, it's kind of a, a weird thing, you know, I mean, there's some comfort level with it, but you know, if you put somebody in the first spot and they've never been there before, it's, it's a little bit of a added pressure, I guess, but I don't think Grisham or, or Tatis care. And, and again, getting back to Machado, you know, I, I think as long as he's behind Tatis, which is where he's been most of the season, that makes sense. And as long as they're getting the main part of the lineup, right. You know, put the good hitters towards the top, the bad hitters towards the bottom, mix up the handedness a little bit. Um, that's really all you can ask. And I think the Padres have done a, a good job this year of doing that. Uh, Nick Recchia asks, should Nola's bat be in the lineup every day, even if he's not catching? I think that it'll be in there most days, but against a righty, I probably prefer Moreland at DH, even though, you know, he's been struggling coming over to, to, from Boston. I think you give him some time to, to get heated up and see how he does, but I would prefer his bat against a righty. And then if you're not going to play Nola in left field, which I don't think he's played much of at all, and uh, they haven't done yet, and Profar has been pretty good, but if you're not going to play him in left, you're not going to play him at second too much with Cronenworth. And you could say put him at second against a lefty and sit Cronenworth, but then against a lefty, Castro's not going to catch because he can't hit lefties, so Nola's going to catch. And then you want you probably want Cronenworth out there anyways because he's been pretty good against any type of pitchers. So with Campisano going down, unfortunately, after hitting a home run in his debut, um, I think he's going to be good in the long run. But right now, it kind of limits the flexibility a little bit. So I think Nola's going to catch a lot. Occasionally, you know, DH or maybe even play first base here and there. But um, he'll get some days off just because of how things are, are going to be structured. And I think that's fine. His bat is not, you know, so good to where you can't give him a day off. Uh, I don't think. Not not yet, anyways. you got to see more. Xavier Carter asks, who are your first or your four starters after the Dodgers and who are your top three for round one. So this is one of the topics I was going to discuss anyways. I think the top three for the first round are pretty much set right now, barring a really, you know, big decline in performance down the stretch or um, just trying to see if this is recording. I think it is. Or a really big decline in performance or an injury. I don't know which one of those I said, but um, Lamette, Clevenger, and Davies in any order you want. I think Lamette will probably be number one just because he's been here all year and he's been great. Um, you could argue putting Davies second between those guys would be smart. 
giving him the the different look with you know Lamette throwing 98 99 then Davies at 88 89 and then back to Clevenger at you know 96 97 um and that's the good thing about Clevenger is his fastball velocity was up in his last start so I think I think he's going to pitch well down the stretch but those three and then after that you know have it Richards then Paddock and just basically based on their last, those guys have kind of been interchangeable this year, but based on their, 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 each of their last starts against Oakland, you know, Richards was great today, nine strikeouts, no walks, um, a lot of swinging misses, 15 swinging misses, I believe. He located the fastball a lot better. He threw a lot more strikes and then his slider got out of the, you know, where it was in those games against Houston and Seattle, where it was just missing low every time, like way low, like spike in a lot of them the uh, Robbie Ray syndrome, which I, I call that, um, where they're just not competitive pitches and the hitters can lay off and wait for something up. And, and if they can recognize that spin at all, they know they don't have to worry about the, the breaking ball because it's going to be in the dirt or it's going to be low. Um, today, they were much closer to the strike zone where you know you get hitters behind in the count and then you, you put a pitch that looks close and they're protecting and they end up swinging through. So he looked really good today. Um, you got you to see it over more starts, but I think he's starting to establish, you know, that he's he's returning to form a little bit. He's he's never been a good command guy, so coming back from Tommy John, that that can take a while. And uh, saw the first real glimpse today, I think, of of kind of vintage Richards. That's what he was when he was good with the Angels. Um, and Paddock, you know, we've talked about it ad nauseum now. You know, here uh, at the newsletter on Twitter, people have have recognized Aero, Eno Saris has has talked about it a few times. Um, Paddock's issue is the fastball this year and, and specifically the fastball spin, um, kind of the orientation and efficiency of the spin, getting the backspin and what you call a fastball ride, um, which is kind of where the ball ends up higher than the hitter thinks it's going to be because of the spin. Um, so they swing and they end up swinging under the pitch and maybe foul tipping it, following it up, popping it up, um, you know, swinging right through it. Whereas now, since he's not getting that extra inch or two of ride that when the hitters swing, it's going right into their swing path and it's just much easier for them to make a uh, solid contact and, and barrel the ball, I think. And if you look at the numbers, even like the results, the the pitch type, linear weights, Paddock's fastball went from really good last year to one of the worst in baseball this year. And he throws it a lot, you know, he throws it like 60% of the time. So even if the changeup is still good, and I think it is still good, uh, even, you know, he's got the curve and an occasional cutter now. Um, I think that the, you know, the fastball, he throws it so much that if it's not good, it's, you know, his, his repertoire is not going to play good overall because he, because he throws it often. And my um, thought with Paddock is, you know, the, the Padres have a lot of off days down the stretch. They could go to a four man rotation if they wanted, even mix in a bullpen day here and there if they, if they wanted to. Um, I, I think they should consider finding a way to, to send him back to the uh, extended summer camp, whether sort of a phantom IL thing or, or even a demotion and get him down there for a couple weeks and get him in front of the track man, the slow-mo cameras, all that stuff. Scrap the, the cutter, which Saris believes could be affecting the fastball spin and, you know, the kind of the release point and everything. And don't worry about the, the curveball. Go back to fastball and change up. We know that can succeed in the bullpen, you know, in San Diego. And see if you can get the, the fastball right. And then bring him back in the postseason as, you know, a one-inning, late-inning, you know, one-to-two-inning guy. Um, where he could have a big effect on the playoffs. Because right now, I don't think he's going to. He's not going to make the first three, as I mentioned. And then if, even if you go to the next series, I'm not sure if he, if he makes the rotation, depending on what happens down the stretch. And I think the, the long-term prognosis with Paddock is still good. And as others have said, it's good that he's adding more pitches and, and trying to get better. But it's taken away from his performance so far this year, and I don't know if there's a quick fix for it. But if they could 
you know, kind of pause on the regular season where, you know, guys get in the rhythm and they're worried about their next start. They're not so much, Hey, how do I change the, um, you know, my arm slot and stuff like that. It's hard to tinker with that during a season when you're starting every fifth day. So if they were able to get them a little bit of a break and then bring them back towards the end of the year, uh, improved, maybe you could start them again too, if, if you get it fixed, but you could also put them in the pen where he becomes another, uh, weapon. If you throw in, you know, 98, um, and he pretends every guy's Pete Alonzo, he's going to be really good. So, all right, let me get to the next question. Some, some reason I deleted. Oh, here we go. Doran Schwartz asks, will Paddock see any game game action in the wild card round? I just kind of answered that one. I think he will either way, unless he really struggles down the stretch. But I think he'll be in the bullpen, um, kind of ready to go if somebody falters um, either way. And if he doesn't have a, a late inning role, he'll be out there. And I think he's likely to pitch, you know, regardless, like I said, unless he really struggles down the stretch. Padres Farm asks, do you miss Luis Urias? And, um, you know, I didn't have a Twitter or I was on, I wasn't on Twitter over the winter. I wasn't really, like I said before, I took a break from kind of following baseball in the way that I have. I just, I guess I just needed some time off after, after diligently, diligently following baseball. So I don't have any, any tweets from the off season. Um, but if I did say something, it probably would have been like, you know, I think Grisham is a real good sleeper. Um, he's going to break out this year and Davies is going to add, you know, he's going to throw more changeups and he's got great command. So I see him as a, a solid number two starter. That's probably what I would have said. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But, you know, I think that's obviously a great trade. One of Preller's best trades along with, you know, Tatis getting Tatis in the, in the shields trade and then a handful of other ones. It could go down as, you know, right there is, is one of his, his hallmark deals. And, um, Grisham, no, now he just looks good now. I mean, it's, it's hard to predict players. I think that's what I said at some point in the off season. It's just, you just never know what you're going to get, you know, and, and Grisham had struggled in the minors after being a good prospect. He struggled. Then he kind of broke out last year between double A AA and triple A. And what I liked about his breakout was that it all wasn't at triple A. Um, a lot of it came at double A, you know, without the juiced ball and he hit for power there and he, and he ended up, you know, striking out and walking almost the same rate at, between both stops. Um, he added a bunch of power. So it looks, you know, now it looks even like a more real breakout, but even at the time it looked like an impressive, um, performance and he, and he kind of held his own in the majors too. He showed some power as well and he, he wasn't overmatched, um, you know, in, in his, in his debut and Davies, I mean, when you see him on another team and you see him a couple times a year or whatever, you're kind of like, how is this guy so good? We should be crushing this guy. <laughs> and when you see him up close, um, you watch him, you know, consecutive starts and you realize how, how good his command is. And, you know, he uses the change up more and he gets some swings and misses on that and everything is down. And you realize that it's just, you know, you realize how important control and command is and that he was actually a pretty good pitcher. And now he's, he's even maybe a little bit better with some changes in his repertoire and his command is um, first in the league, according to command plus. So it just looks like a brilliant move by the Padres. Um, I think a credit to Preller and, and to the entire team. I'm sure there were some some scouts that were you know high on those guys, and also the the numbers, you know, that the the stats guys that might have identified um, Grissom's in, improvements or, or what pa, or what Davies could could become, and, and really what he already was, and that he could continue that performance. The thing that made me nervous about Arias, and I was a fan of his as a prospect, but in his last couple of seasons. Um, I think he sort of lost, you know, he had sort of an identity crisis in terms of what kind of player he was. And I'm not sure if the Padres um, kind of pushed that along as well and encouraged him to try to change, to hit for more power. But in his early years as a prospect, he was a, 
you know, he was known as a, as a, as a guy with a great hit tool with not a lot of power, but that was going to hit, hit, hit. And in, uh, 2016 in the, in the Cal league, he had a 6.8 strikeout percentage. Um, the next year that went up to 12.4%, but he was a young player in double a. So I think that was mostly encouraging. He still didn't hit for a lot of power, but he you know, hit almost 300, had a good season. And then in, in his first time at AAA, his strikeout went, went his strikeout rate went up to 20.5%. He did add some power, but that was the PCL um, where it's easy to hit for power. And that strikeout rate was just, you know, much higher than where you expected. And then he repeated AAA last year um, with the juice ball. And the strikeout rate stayed pretty high at 18.3%, but the power went through the roof, uh, 285 ISO. He had 19 homers in 73 games. Um, you know, hit 315, 398, 600 and had a good, you know, product, productive season. But the, the issues I think remained as, well, he's striking out a lot more than you thought he's hitting for power, but how much of that is, is deceptive? How much of that is, is the, is the environment, uh, and the juice ball there and, and how much is going to translate to the majors. And if you look at his WRC plus, it was only 137 last year compared to, you know, 127 and 124 and, and 130 the previous three years. So it's not even like the production was up that much, but what we've seen of Urias in the majors, including this season with, when he has a 25.3% strikeout rate, it's just that he's striking out too much and, and, and the power isn't, you know, it hasn't come uh, the way that it was in the, in the minors or in the high minors anyways. So I think, you know, he's just in a spot now where it's like, you're not sure what kind of player he is. Is he a, is he a guy who's going to strike out, you know, at an average rate and not hit for power? Then he's not, you know, he's not a regular. Um, he's a solid defender, but he's more of a, of a bench player, but if he can get the strikeout rate down, I mean, he can still become a, a solid player. I think he's walking quite a bit. Um, but the interesting comparison of Urias in the minors is to Nick Madrigal of the White Sox. They were kind of contemporaries as prospects. They're both undersized, like five foot eight, second baseman, um, who made a lot of contact. But the thing that Madrigal did was he just leaned into the contact, you know, a hundred percent. And that, that, that was his, you know, that was who he was. And, um, getting his numbers up real quick, I had him up before, but he said, I've had to record like three times. So last year in the minors, uh, between high A, double A and triple A, he struck out 16 times in 532 plate appearances and, you know, 44 walks to 16 strikeouts. That's like, you know, that is a Tony Gwynn type of line that you don't see anymore, really anywheres. And, um, you know, he stole 35 bases. He hit a total of four home runs, um, you know, some doubles here and there just because he made so much contact probably, but he is a sort of singles hitter, but a high average guy and a high on base guy, just because he puts the ball in place so much. And so far, um, in the majors, you know, he's, he's done the same thing and it's a small sample. He debuted this season and, um, his strikeout rate is 6.8%, which is tremendous. He hasn't hit any extra base hits. He has 16 hits. They're all singles. Um, and his walk rate is low. His batting average of balls in play is 400, which is not going to stay that high, but he's hitting 372. Um, you know, I think certainly at this point you would take him over Urias just because he's really good at his one skill and that skill can, can carry him. That's the hit tool. And with Urias, now you're, you're caught in between. Like, is he, does he have power? Does he have a good hit tool right now? You know, so it's, he, he sort of lost his identity in the upper minors. And that was the, the main concern that I had with him. And, um, yeah, I still think he can be a good player, but certainly more questions in the last couple of years and, and, and now this year than than there was early on in his career uh, as a as a prospect. All right, let's move on. Cam Doyen says, seems like Moreland might get more time at first than we thought. Good thing, bad thing. 
I don't really think it's that big of a deal. He had a bad day today with a a tough hop on a, on the hard grounder, but he you know he probably could have stayed in front of that ball and then the dropped pop up. Um, you know I don't think he's a great defender, but I also I'm I'm kind of the low person on Hosmer's defense. I just think he's sort of weirdly bad defensively, and he's been maybe a little bit better this year, but I still just. I'm not, I'm not a fan of his defense. So I think that those guys are pretty interchangeable defensively. They're both kind of slow moving first basemen who are adequate in the field. Um, I think Moreland has like, okay numbers. He, he, he used to have pretty good numbers. So, you know, I think he's fine. They've been down the last couple of years, but, but I, I, I think they're, I think it's fine. If you can get Hosmer some days off, he's, he's been really good offensively this year. So if you can get him some days off, you know, he had the issues earlier in the year. Um, I think you could run, run Moreland out there as long as it doesn't become a, a an issue, you know, going forward. That's fine. Um, Ryan Luz asks, let's have some real talk. What's it going to cost the Padres to extend Tatis and when should they do it? Um, I think they should do it like now, um, probably yesterday, but uh, now in the off season would be, would be a great time. And I just think that you've got to hit your wagon to Tatis. And basically so far he's missed, you know, he missed half of his first season to injury. Now he's going to miss a hundred games this year because of, you know, of the, the nature of the season of the COVID-19. So you you got four years left to Tatis and it seems like, you know, we've, we've hardly seen him at all, you know, how good he's been, but to get four more years and then to imagine him leaving through free agency, I think would just be sort of crushing to, to find a player like this, who, who really has a realistic chance to be the best player in baseball someday soon. I mean, some would say he's, he's been that so far this season, but you know, with deferring to Trout, um, he's kind of next in line with, with a with a with a group of other players. You know, Mookie Betts and Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna and maybe Luis Robert and and so on. But I I would probably take Tatis over all those guys to kind of take the mantle from Trout one day, just because of how you know broad his skill set is. Soto is a great hitter. He, he's certainly a, a better hitter, I think, than Tatis but he doesn't do really much of anything else. And Acuna's kind of in between, but so uh, Tatis is a shortstop who runs as well as pretty much anybody has as much raw power as anybody. Um, and is making more contact at this age than we already thought. So I just think that if you don't extend him soon, then you run the risk of, you know, what happened with Machado and the Orioles, or even more recently with Betts and the Red Sox, where a deal just doesn't come together the player kind of plays himself out of a contract because he's, he becomes too good and the team ends up um, giving money to other players like the Red Sox extended uh, Chris Sale and then Xander Bogarts. They kind of made the decision that they were going to go with Bogarts instead of Betts, I think probably because of cost. And in the end, a team like the Red Sox, who have a lot of money um, and just won a World Series, you know, two years ago, end up dealing away their their franchise player and now they're one of the worst teams in baseball. And they've done this in the past where they've gone from good to bad, it's back to good again, and maybe they will again, but it's just kind of unimaginable that a team of that stature would lose a team of, of or a player of, of Betts' quality, you know, after six or seven years. And I just don't think you want the Padres to do that. And I look at Tatis even beyond the baseball skills as the most, you know, the most marketable. And I know I'm saying, you know, I hate, I hate when I do that. I'm trying not to. But I look at him as one of the most uh, marketable players in baseball, if not the most. Uh, I think of him as somebody like you know, Patrick Mahomes in another sport. Um, and I know football and baseball contracts are entirely different, but just somebody that you want to build around for, even for reasons that that transcend baseball. And 
whether you're looking at your bottom line or just from a pure enjoyment factor, you want to have this guy on your team for, for as long as possible. So I think that, you know, as far as a number, uh, 200 million is the one that stands out, but you don't have to pay Tatis. Remember, you don't have to pay Tatis as much as like Betts just got because he's not a free agent. You got four years of control. So uh, the player gives up some, you know, some level of their, their maximum earnings for the safety of a long-term deal. And um, I'm not sure where the numbers will, would, would come out to, but I would be more than willing to give them more years for, for more money and hopefully make it a fair deal between the, the player and the team. You know, the Padres have some flexibility in the long run. Um, Myers' deal, we'll get to that in a second. I think there's only two more years on that with an extension. And then Hosmer's goes down towards the end of his deal. And you don't know how long Machado, you know, Machado has the opt out. So it's not like they have a ton of contracts. You can structure Tatis's contract in a way that, that wouldn't hamper, hamper the team. And, and I just think you have to find a way to extend him before he prices himself, you know, out of it and, 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 and wants to hit free agency. Uh, you know, you got to make, you've got to make sure that he knows that he's wanted and find a way to sign him. Hopefully this off season. I think that will probably be one of the Padres big uh, splashes of the offseason this winter. Advanced Stats 23 asks, if the Padres can dump the entire remainder of Myers' contract in the offseason, should they do it? Let's assume that the payroll budget for 2021 is the same regardless of whether they deal him or not. Um, I, I answered this in a recent uh, mailbag. Um, I don't like just dumping contracts of players who are good just to save money. And it really depends on whether they redistribute that money to improve the team. And, and they probably would, but they, they could say that, you know, that they dealt Myers to extend Tatis. And I don't think that's a fair um, trade-off because Myers is owed the money, you know, now over the next two years. And Tatis isn't going to get the big bump in salary till three, four, five, five years if they extend him. So those two things really shouldn't be correlated in, in my mind. And Myers has, has been a lot better this year. I mean, it's hard to really point to what he's doing better. Matthew Trueblood wrote a great article at Baseball Prospectus a couple weeks back. You know, check that out. It's it's a good analysis of kind of the finer points of his swing and some stuff that he identified. But he, his strikeout rate is much better than it was last year, which last year it was like a, a sort of unplayable range almost. And then he's hitting for more power. And so he's just, he's, he's doing what I think you thought he could do the whole time. And it's a small sample still, but he's playing better defense outside of the this series in Oakland where he, where he struggled and he's got a, you know, 148 WRC plus. So I don't think you just want to dump that kind of player. And I, if he's good in the, you know, if he seems like he's, he's comfortable now and good in the clubhouse and, and he's a Preller find, you know, Preller has traded a lot of the players that weren't his, but he brought, uh, brought, brought Myers in, in, in 2015. And I think it might be a little hard for him to trade him now uh, after finally realizing success that, that the Padres thought he could have. So I don't know. I think there are probably ways that you can trade him and roughly replicate his production cheaper, but it's only two years and like 40 million now, I believe. So I wouldn't rush to, to trade Myers. Um, like I said, I don't mind doing it. If you improve the team, uh, the crazy trade that I had was for Jacob deGrom, including Myers in that deal and giving him a bunch of prospects and getting deGrom from the Mets. But who knows, you know, if the Mets are going to sell or not, they've been pretty better than expected this year. Well, they, they might make the playoffs and, you know, I don't know if that would, that would come to fruition, but if they could trade them and improve or, or, you know, redistribute those funds in some way, I wouldn't be against it, but I hope they don't just um, offload that money and then not improve the team. So 
I think that's it. I'm going to cut this off before I mess it up. But I just wanted to say thanks, you know, thanks to everybody for listening. Like I said, I know I have some things to work on with these podcasts. It's hard to talk um, by yourself this long. Like I said, I think I said that in this podcast, <laughs> in this version of it. But um, I appreciate everybody listening and everybody t- for signing up for the newsletter. If you have or if you've just checked it out, um, let me know what you think. It's been a lot of fun covering the team so far. And I'm going to cut this short before I mess it up again.